Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This is God speaking. Good. Yeah, it's good to do. Yeah. 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 Uh, Joanna. Or. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and music and musical arrangements do send a signal um, of what's okay and what's not okay. You know, and those are, honestly, those are culturally derived. They're not, they're not biblical, um, but musical styles and stuff do send kind of a unspoken signal that certain things are okay and certain things aren't. So if you walked in and there was a, a pipe organ in a big church and we were going, a mighty fortress is, like, you're probably not going to be like, yeah, mighty fortress. That's right. Um, so, but if you do the same song in a fresh and new way, in a, in a musical arrangement that is fresh and new yet slightly familiar, it helps you think of old truth in new ways, and and it can foster that. So even the music, I think, lends itself to to say certain, you know, this is the kind of church that it's okay to lift your hands in. Yeah. 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 Not a good point. Okay. What were you going to say? Yeah. I mean, you know, so yeah. Um, I, if I'm understanding what you're asking, I mean, like in our church, we we don't have like a set of youth songs that are like real crazy, um, that it, distinct from the the main, you know. So when when Eric has led worship for youth, I mean, he's he's doing songs that we would do on a Sunday. Um, in the same way that our preaching, maybe the application is tailored to their age, but um, I, I think it's unhealthy to create to do things that would create 
among a youth ministry, the sense that it's its own church. Like we have our own songs, we have our own preacher, we have our own modes and methods. And it's like, no, if we're going to do youth ministry, let's, let's do, do it the way we do ministry with everybody because we realize we're building them into something that's going to last into their future. So we want to lay those foundations early. Yeah. Right. For sure. Yep. Like there's songs that um, minister to me personally that would not never be appropriate to do on a Sunday morning. And yeah, so there's definitely that is a unique time that requires a unique. The problem is if you if you bring. The, the world's system and agenda and styles and lyrics and ideas. And, um, you know, we, we figure out like how to Christianize blackbird singing in the dead of night or something. And like on Sunday morning and we're doing that for worship or something, you know, that kind of, yeah. We're, we're not that far along yet. I mean, but that would be, that would be great. Yeah. All right, let, let's move on, because um, I do want to talk about uh, prophecy. So Charisma mentioned this, um, because this is the one that, uh, man, I'm, I'm like so far over here. Okay, can you give out the uh, handout, please? Do you mind? So in the Old Testament, prophets, um, let's, let's use this line a little bit differently. This is the line. This horizontal line is the line of God's unchanging, authoritative, inerrant, infallible, binding for all time word. It's that line represents Bible. Everything above this line is Bible. It's God's word. Um, everything below the line is, uh, we would hope, um, in accordance with the Bible, but it would be in the realm of what we call um, spiritual guidance, the Holy Spirit guiding us. So um, I think even cessationists would say that the Holy Spirit guides us. If a cessationist is praying about which job to take, Lord, please guide me and direct me. What, where, what do you want me to say to this job opportunity? Give me some direction, Lord. I think cessationists would pray that all the time. They have a category for guidance. Um, so the gift of prophecy in the New Testament fits more closely in the category of guidance. Now, if you look at your handout, here's, we're going to trace this out biblically. We don't have time to look at all of this. But in the Old Testament, the prophets were speaking God's actual and authoritative words. They were messengers from God. As messengers, they didn't speak on their own authority, but on that of the one who sent them. They spoke God's very words. And so the injunction, thus saith the Lord, God of Israel, you know, and they would speak. They're speaking God's very words, his binding authoritative words. To disbelieve or disobey a prophet's words is to disbelieve or disobey God himself. Uh, prophet's words could not be challenged, questioned, or sifted as they are in the New Testament. So there's a hint, hint. Um, they were either true prophets or they were false prophets. And if they were false prophets, they were to be stoned. So again, the prophet, the role of prophet, the office of prophet in the old testament was very very unique now as we come to the new testament what is the equivalent to the office of prophet in the new testament 
Who speaks forth God's very words? Whose words are binding for all believers at all times? Whose words cannot be questioned or challenged in the New Testament? Jesus is one. Yep. And the apostles. Yeah. The people who wrote scripture, the the scripture writers, right? Um, So this is in the New Testament, this the, the parallel to Old Testament prophets was New Testament apostles. So, what's that? Okay. All right, good. In the New Testament, apostles were sent by God. They were even associated with Old Testament prophets. Remember when Peter said how they, some people take Paul's words and twist them um, as they do the other scriptures? Uh, he, he equated the apostolic writings of the Apostle Paul with the, the, the Old Testament itself. Um, we see in Acts that, or, or they received the gospel message and commissioned to write it down, that we saw in Acts that to lie to an apostle was to lie to God himself. The apostles' words couldn't be challenged or questioned. They, they were God's words. They carried greater authority than any New Testament prophet's words ever did. So in, in summary, the New Testament apostles spoke God's very words and New Testament apostles wrote scripture. So Old Testament prophets, New Testament apostles. So that leaves a huge question. Well, but the New Testament talks about prophets. So what role do prophets play? If these, both of these were speaking God's actual and authoritative words, in summary, we see in the New Testament that New Testament prophecy is speaking human words to report something that God spontaneously brings to mind in agreement with and submission to Scripture. So we see this especially in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, which we spent 43 weeks on. So I don't have enough time to do that tonight, but we can, we can hit this very briefly. So if we take this analogy, remember this line, everything above it is Bible. Let's draw it a little bit differently. Over here, we talk about principle and practice. Everything up here is Bible. This is, this is principle. This is what, this is what guides us. Um, what falls under here would be practice. Um, so do you do, you know, this line is very important. Very, very important. Everything above here is God's authoritative binding words. Everything below here would be in the words of guidance. Um, We pray, we seek the Lord. He answers, he guides us. Now, these railings are important as well because these railings say that God is only going to guide us with what is in agreement with scripture. So let's play a little game. This will be easy. Um, You should have communion as a church. Churches should practice communion. Where does that belong? Okay. Churches should practice communion every week versus once a month. (laughs) Yeah, that's guidance. That's when. Churches should not practice communion. (laughs) You're out here. Okay, good. All right. Um, Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, you know, you could do this with with a lot of different things, but it's very important that um, the Bible is here. It it stands in a category to itself. 
when we talk about the gift of prophecy in the New Testament, I'm going to even use a small p to try and indicate this. New Testament prophecy is in accordance with the Bible. It's within the railings, but it's below it. It's not, it's not up here. It's not on par with the Bible. It's not speaking God's actual authoritative words, unless we're actually reading the scripture. But it's speaking, and again, I have to say it, we're indebted to Wayne Grudem for this, um, because he did his doctoral thesis on this subject and wrote a wonderful book this thick on the gift of prophecy in the New Testament. And um, I've summarized much of his work, so I'm standing on his shoulders with this here. Speaking human words to report something God spontaneously brings to mind. That's why, because it's human words, that's why letter A, prophecy is sifted or weighed. So if you have 1 Corinthians 14 uh, turned open, verse 29, let two or three prophets speak, let the others weigh what is said. Um, another distinction, letter B, what is said, not the one saying it. That signifies another change from Old Testament prophetic function to New Testament prophetic function. Remember in the Old Testament, um, nobody was listening to the Old Testament prophets and going, huh, yeah, let's, let's weigh it. And if it doesn't seem to be from the Lord, we'll just let it slide. We'll, you know, first Thessalonians, we'll hold on to the good, let go of the, the things that don't fit in here. Um, no, you don't do that with Old Testament prophets. So um, the, it was the prophet himself, not just what, he, what was said, but again, uh, the way I'm going to draw this is New Testament prophets belong down here in the quadrant. In other words, Old Testament prophets gave way to New Testament apostleship, but the giving of the Spirit right here at Pentecost, Holy Spirit, initiated a new covenant in which prophecy would take on an entirely new dimension. Remember Acts 2? It's going to go out to everybody, young and old, sons and daughters, everybody. Um, so it's a new category, but it's in a new tier to itself. It's not up here with here. It's down here. Okay. So um, that shift along with that shift is what is said is the key, not the one saying it. In other words, getting to Joanna's question, is, it, is prophecy a resident gift? Would we say, um, Pastor Billy, the prophet? We, we would not use that language um, because if prophecy is simply speaking human words to report something God spontaneously brings to mind, um, that captures there's a supernatural element. It's not just the Lord wants you to be encouraged. I mean, that's true, but is that the gift of prophecy? It doesn't seem to be. There, there seems to be a specificity in Romans and in 1 Corinthians 14 where the secrets of one's heart are disclosed. And even an unbeliever says, God is in this place. I mean, there is a supernatural, personal, specific component to this um, that, is, that is unique and beyond just normal. So, so who can God do that through? Well, he could do it through a variety of people. I mean, going back to uh, 1 Corinthians 12, do, do all speak in tongues? Do all prophesy? The rhetorical question, answer to which is no, not everybody, but anybody can. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, earnestly desires spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So he has no problem telling the church, go for this one, but be okay with the fact that God may not use you with that in that one. And there may be some people that God just often and uniquely uses in the gift of prophecy. Um, I wouldn't call that person a prophet, um, but I would, would say that God, that, that gift would operate spontaneously in people from time to time. And some people 
maybe more frequently than others, you know? So, um, yeah, some prophecies could be lost forever if that's okay. That's the funny thing in 1 Corinthians 14 when he says, um, if, so, if prophecy comes to someone sitting down and the person standing up is speaking it, let the person standing up sit down so that the person sitting down can stand up and give his. Like that guy should stop talking and sit down so that somebody else can, you know, it's just kind of odd. But what is Paul getting at there? That what you're speaking is not God's authoritative binding words. It's, it's human words that God may, may want to use, but God may want to use somebody else. And so if you don't get to share your word, it's okay with Paul. It's just okay. You can sit down. You can, you can be cut off and, you know, stop talking. Now, I, I don't think we would have that problem here that like everybody's just like uh, trying to, but that was going on in the Corinthian church. I mean, they're, they're all, it, it was getting kind of chaotic and uh, Paul had to regulate it. Um, and then especially particular for tonight, letter E, women could prophesy in New Testament churches, but were forbidden to teach or exercise authority over men. All right, just let that sink in. First Timothy 2.12, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul addresses women who are prophesying. And you know what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, y'all need to stop doing it because prophecy is authoritative. No, for Paul, prophecy was never authoritative in the New Testament. So that's why he can say on the one hand, well, I don't permit women to exercise authority over men. And on the other hand, he can encourage women to prophesy. Because for Paul, prophecy was not authoritative. So there was no conflict there. Right, right. And, and praying. So even in 1 Corinthians 12, the women are praying publicly and prophesying publicly. Right. Right. Which is wonderful. And yeah. And so, yeah. So the, at the end of 1 Corinthians 14, um, verse 34, the women should keep silent in the church. So if we had time to look at, into it, yeah, they're not permitted to speak. Well, either Paul is super delusional and forgot what he said two chapters earlier or he's referring to something else. Well, the context, the verses before it, the verse after it, indicate that uh, what, what's in context there is the weighing or sifting of prophecies. And so um, the, the weighing of prophecies uh, in, for Paul here was reserved to the leaders. And so when it came to the weighing and sifting of prophecies for the church, that's why he's saying women should keep silent. God has gifted pastors to do that. Let the pastors do that. Um, and that's the only sense that not permitted to speak and keep silent makes any sense is because contextually he is talking about weighing or sifting. Um, yeah, not, not keeping silent categorically, but when it comes to weighing prophecy. So that's a, that's a very good question, very important question. If we had time to unpack that, we would, but we don't. Um, so, and then finally, just in my own experience, I mean, I think this is a wonderful way that God uses women in particular. I mean, the Holy Spirit is called the comforter. And just in terms of the way God has designed and wired women and the idea of biblical femininity, there's a unique comforting piece that I think women are able to image forth God as comforter in a unique way that men generally cannot. And so if that, if God means to 
reflect himself through men and women. Um, there are certain ways that God is imaged forth in men, but I think the, the, the role of comforter, which is the way the Holy Spirit, a member of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit is described, comforter may be imaged forth, maybe even better or best through women. I mean, certainly, you know, the idea of comfort comes through the shepherd, uh, a pastor, God, there should be comfort that is delivered through men. Absolutely. But just, just uniquely, I've wondered why does, in my experience, it seems that the Lord really uses women in the gift of prophecy. So that's not, I don't have a biblical like verse for that, but just in my mind, I think that may be why, because that's part of the Holy Spirit's role. And so women are more in tune to what, how God might be wanting to comfort and nurture people in the church and individuals and express his care and his love and his personal affection for them. And, and so it's not at all surprising to me that, um, that we see women functioning more frequently in the gift of prophecy. And so I'm, I'm here to say, fan that flame, <laughs> fan it. <laughs> um, so man, uh, so much more um, that we could we could get into. Yeah, question. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. That's so first Corinthians 14, three, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement and consolation. 
I mean, those are three words to just commit to memory, upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. So prophecy is not always future telling. It, it may just be forth telling that God is, God is speaking something that is encouraging, upbuilding, and consolation. And usually, to, Jan, to Jan's point, usually you don't even realize it was prophecy sometimes until after the fact. And then so you, you shared something, it seemed mundane, it may be for somebody, it may not be. And then like later that week, somebody contacts you and says, that was exactly what I needed to hear. God spoke to me when you said that and met me. And yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, good. And it's like Jen is saying, I mean, not to hyper spiritualize it, because yeah. um, if we wait until we our motives are perfectly pure. I mean, I remember asking this to Gary Ricucci in Pastors College, like, I think I may have a word of prophecy for the group, but man, I'm, I'm just fighting, like wanting to be impressed, wanting the guys to be impressed, wanting to be recognized. I want people to say, man, he really has the gift of prophecy. And like, there's all these battles in my heart for recognition, but I, I think I have something from the Lord. Maybe I, sh- I don't, I don't know. Maybe I just shouldn't share it, you know? And he said, Look, our hearts are always going to be a mixture of good and bad motives, holy and impure motives. What do you do with that? You lay that at the Lord's feet. You appeal for grace and say, God, I'm aware that my motives, I have impure motives mixed in with my good motives right now. I'm going to lay those at your feet and say, purify my heart and help me to speak what you've given. And then you step out and you speak (laughs) and you don't, you know. And it was just so helpful to say, don't, don't wait until you feel like, I feel like I'm finally perfect enough to deliver this because it's not going to happen. Which is good, right? You're aware of it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, And isn't that awareness? God's grace. I mean, that right there is God's working in your heart in that moment. Yeah. Yeah, Rachel. Yeah. 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 You, you lay it at the Lord's feet and you know, the farmer, the farmer plants the seed and then he goes to bed. Yeah. Jesus said, so it's you, you give it and then you trust and trust yeah. it to the Lord. Only he can do what he can do. Yeah. Rachel. Yeah. Um, I know. I wish we could do another class and just go through each of those. Um <laughs> So, uh, 
I don't, I don't think so. I, I think we have to be careful not to parse it too finely, but, um, but yeah, I do think they are different. So in recent years, just culturally in Sovereign Grace churches, we used to call it the prophecy mic, but we realize that, that that is inherently limiting in some ways because it, it, so it, maybe somebody has a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, a word of encouragement, or a prophecy. It could be anything like that. So, so nowadays, we, we started calling it the ministry mic. Uh, so. Good. But you said, <laughs> that's good. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yep. And, and, you know, the Bible doesn't, except for prophecy, it doesn't get super specific on the definitions of the others. And you even have like three different lists of spiritual gifts. So, you know, we even need to be careful about saying, well, there are nine gifts of the spirit. Well, th th this list has six, this one has nine, this one has 13. I think the point is th there's a lot of ways that the spirit can be at work. And um, that he's at work is more important than that we can identify which one it was. It's just like, let's, let's lean in and follow the spirit's leading and yeah, trust him to work. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, so it comes back to, Yeah. Like Joanna's question about, <laughs> yeah, I can, I'm, I'm good to go. If y'all want to, if you need to leave, you can leave, I guess I can give, you know, five or 10 more minutes, but
<laughs> well, no, it's a good question. So, yeah. I mean, you know, let's remember that that people use the word gifts in different ways. So there are there are spiritual gifts, which are the supernatural work of the spirit, spontaneous in a moment. God does something that is especially supernatural. And then, yeah, yeah. And then there are just we, we talk about ways that we are gifted. So somebody's just a really, really gifted at math, you know, or something. Um that's not a spiritual gift. I mean, all gifts, all good gifts come from above and, you know, in that sense, but that's not a supernatural demonstration of power um, that you can do math. Well, I mean, some people it is, you know, but yeah. And that's why a better word might be might be strengths or um, even talents. Jesus told the parable of the talents, and so and, you know there, there are talents that ways that God has made us that we're naturally inclined towards, and those natural inclinations are in some sense a small g gift, but they wouldn't you know we, we don't want to confuse that with the supernatural display of spiritual gifts for the good of the church when the church gathers. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. Some people who excel. Yeah, yeah. In the very, not like, well, I'm not, I don't have to give the hospitality, so I, I, I'm off the hook. Not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm it's enlightening, it's insightful, it's biblical. I think And she would wake up and she would just write them. And then sometimes she would take those to the And there were times that she, where she would say, and she took it home to put it on and she kind of edited it. And, she, and it just was so funny because to me, there was a very spiritual aspect of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah.
I think so. I wouldn't think it would be normative. It would not be the normal way that he works, but. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Right. We just got to, we, this is right here <laughs> because somebody's going to have a dream that, that like uh, I'm being called to sin in this way or something, you know, so we got to be careful with, with dreams. Carol, were you going to say something? Yeah. Great question. I will, I'm going to give you this um, and it, it, we can make copies if anybody wants this. This is my notes on a, on a Sunday school that I did on. Um, well, I can give it to you. Uh, I, it'll, it'll be a start. The, the short of it is um, I was just thinking that does it answer that specific question? Maybe not. There's what I see in the Bible is there's two, two tongues. There are public tongues which are speaking forth words to the gathered church, which should be interpreted. And then Paul talks about a use of tongues that more functions as a private prayer language for which there is no interpretation and it, and it functions privately. So um, it doesn't seem to me that those are exactly the same. So um, I, I think there, there could be, uh, a, I mean, I know many believers who, who speak in tongues regularly in their own private prayer life, um, but maybe have never given a word. Yeah, I mean, I think when it seems that the pattern in that, that, that was what Paul was correcting in 1 Corinthians 14 is that they would speak it publicly around other people and it wasn't being interpreted. And so he's saying people are not being built up. That's why y'all need to get off of tongues and get on to prophecy because that one builds people up. I mean, that's the argument in 1 Corinthians 14. Yeah, Not to men. Well, and that's why. Yeah, I think. To God, right. And it was so cool. That's what I believe is the intention of public tongues is it's extolling God and it's interpreted as an extolling of God, bringing glory to God. Um, but that as a private prayer language, it would not be required to be interpreted because it's something that takes place in the heart. Um, but in a word that's spoken to another individual, I think Paul would say it should be interpreted if it's being spoken to an individual. Yeah. Because how is it going to benefit? Them? Glossalia, yeah. Not everybody. It freaks some people out. Yeah. I mean, I did it. 
And but it's like when you stop and think, it's like this is a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Eric? Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can give examples of that too. I mean, it even continuationists are divided on that. And so some continuationists think it's only an earthly language. Some people think it's only a heavenly language and still others think it could be either. Um, I think it could be either is my personal position is um, I feel like there's evidence of both types in the New Testament. So I'm okay with saying that it's either. I will say, I, this is just strictly my opinion, but y'all know that I'm fluent in Spanish. When I was a teenager, I prayed earnestly for the gift of tongues, languages, and I learned Spanish very quickly. And um, I've always wondered if that was, maybe that's the gift of tongues, you know, that it's not always, it, it's not only, um, you know, this prophetic extolling of God and prayer language, but maybe there's this other thing too of the gift of being able to speak other languages. And, and maybe that's more in the talent thing, you know, God gives you, but I do feel like I got, I received supernatural help to learn it as quickly as I did. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I've just kind of always scratched my head about that, but I guess we better wrap it up. Um, we, I think we covered a lot of this. So um, the, okay. Okay. Um, no, no, no. Um, Keswick theology, the, the W is silent. Um, Keswick the uh, Keswick theology is is the idea that um, is basically let go and let God that we we don't do anything that the, the true true spirituality true blessedness is in letting go of everything and just trusting God it's essentially trusting um, which is not a biblical view where we're told to put off certain things and to put on certain things and to put to death certain things. And, um, sanctification is work. So the reason I put it over here is because um, even in the realm of the spirit, there's these things come together. So it's not just that we just need to trust and open our minds and just let God do whatever he's going to do. Um, again, like growing up in now, not in the church I grew up with, but when I was a teenager, I was trying to be a part of like five churches for about seven years. So I was exposed to like a variety of different things. Um, I was in a different church each night of the week and um, got exposed to a lot of different things. I mean, in some, some context where you'll, you'll hear, um, um, we're just going to let God do whatever he wants tonight. And uh, 
we're not going to put God in a box and um, stuff like that. And usually what they mean when they say that is this is the box. And we're going to let God do things that are not in here. Because after all, you can't put God in a box. Well, God puts himself in this box. He doesn't act outside of his own character and nature. Does he guide and direct? Yes. But any of his guidance and direction are always going to be in accordance with his revealed authoritative word. Um, so, you know, we don't want to just throw off and empty ourselves and empty our minds. And I mean, a lot of that has its roots overlap with Buddhism and stuff that true spirituality is and enlightened is emptying your mind of everything. And that, that can drift into Christianity where we say, we just have to just empty everything and not, not put God in a box and just let go of everything you ever believed and just expect the Holy spirit to do something supernatural in your heart. And the reason he's not working is because you're clinging to all these traditions and, uh, and usually what they mean is like, biblical stuff um that you got to let go of i mean right you, you've probably seen that in charismatic circles um, yeah and i it would always Right. I mean, it. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and like Rachel was saying, I mean, I've heard charismatics uh, misquote Ephesians 5.18 and say, and, and quote it this way, do not get drunk with wine, but be drunk with the spirit. That's not what it says. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it says be filled with the spirit. And the word filled in the New Testament, you could do like a, a word study of the original Greek and see how it's used. And it's, it always means under the control or influence of the Holy Spirit, where when you're drunk, you lose control. You're out of control. You, you don't you lose judgment. You lose sanity. You lose mental clarity. The filling of the spirit brings those things. So that's the contrast. Okay.
Yeah, I mean that that's a really tough one to answer. Yeah. I mean, it that's really hard to say what what is like of the Lord and what is not and um I mean, I know from my own experience, there could be a lot of bad theology and God still is doing things in people's hearts and people are still getting saved and genuine conversion is happening. And um, so we all have our blind spots. Right. Mm, good point. Right. I mean, and that's what we talk about um, among among us as pastors and leaders. Is um, yeah. I mean, do we feel a, a, a greater sense of danger? that the church is going to get so lost up in the experience of spiritual gifts that they forsake doctrine and truth, or that we're so, we, we can dot our I's and cross our T's on doctrine and truth, but there's no vibrancy of the life and ministry of the spirit in the church. And I, I think that we can, you know, the demographic change, I mean, 20 years ago, we were over here big time. Um, and now I would say it's tilted this way. And so we want to cultivate a work of the spirit that fits within the, the wonderful, healthy railings of scripture. So that as a spirit moves, he's bound by what he has bound himself to, which is scripture. Um, and so with those guidelines that, you know, if there's a analogy, there's a huge field and you have to get to some point on the other side that you can't see, you have no idea how to get there because there's a huge field, right? But if there's a path, the path is restricting but the path is freeing too, because now you know where to run and you know where not to run. And so the Bible provides the path for how to pursue the spirit. And um, that, should, that, that should actually free us to pursue the work of the spirit, knowing that scripture is our guide. And as, if we, as we get to know God's voice in scripture, we'll come to recognize his voice when he speaks to us in our hearts to care for others, encourage others. So um, Gotcha. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, and, and so I think what we're wanting to do is say, let's, let's never leave behind our, our commitment to sound doctrine. And as an expression, if we're really committed to all the Bible teaches, we would actually be pursuing these things greater. And so let's do that. It doesn't have to be like we need to lay aside doctrine to pursue the spirit. We should pursue the spirit in light of, 
of, of doctrine. So that um, I hope that that kind of gets to this, you know, so what do we do? We, we let scripture be our guide. We let scripture be our authority. And when we keep it on that top shelf where it belongs, it actually frees us to say, God, what would you have me speak or share with someone um, practically on a Sunday morning, individually in a small group at a discipleship group meeting, texting them during the week, something. And, and who knows, you find out God really spoke to that person. I mean, let's be open for that. Let's be looking for that, be praying for that, thinking about that. And I think God, you know, Jesus said the Holy Spirit is not stingy with gifts. If you ask, he's not going to say no. Um, we can ask. I mean, maybe that's part of why it doesn't happen a lot because we need to just, we need to just ask and expect him to do it. And, um, Anyway, man, so many more things we could talk about, but this has been very good. Thanks for hanging in there into the late hours, the after hour party, the after party. Okay. It closes in prayer. Do you have anything to add? Okay. Okay. I'll, let me, I'll give you this, Joanna. This is, and if anybody wants a copy of this, this is a, my notes from a Sunday school class from a while back. What are baptism in and filling with the Holy Spirit? Um, so you could, you could read through some of this. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Lord, thank you so much for this time. God, we do pray that you would move in this way, that you would give us hearts that are um, aware of how you want your word to not just stop with us, but maybe to go through us into other people's hearts as well. And may we be conduits of your grace and um, the gospel into other people. And uh, we do want to be a people who pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts as an expression of pursuing love. Um, so help us grow in these things, Lord. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Willow, awesome baptism Sunday. It was so exciting. Yeah. <laughs>